You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Well, it's good to see everyone. I'm a little stoked at uh, what is on my heart or what's on the Lord's heart this morning. And I want to just draft off of what Caleb has been talking about. How, just to, to ask, how many of you have watched the Underground People video, 35 minutes? Okay, everybody else, I urge you, I admonish you to watch Underground People out of Tampa Bay, Florida, 35 minutes. I've watched it, I don't even know how many times. The crazy thing is, every time I watch it, I'm weeping more. So it's almost as though each time I'm increasingly capturing the Lord's heart and weeping as I'm watching it. And I've read the book by Brian Sanders, the le- one of the leaders of it, called Microchurches. And really, it's boiling down the three primary essentials that are there that really identify who we are as a church. It's worship, mission, and community. And I want to say in the beginning of what I want to share with you today, I want to say that mission is the worship that builds community. Mission is our external worship. As James 1.27 says, it says your external worship is to visit to relieve the widows and the orphans. So our internal worship is what we've just been doing. How many of you really enjoyed Kelly's smile this morning as she led us in worship? I did as well. Where is Kelly? There she is. So her smile's back. It's increased. But... The dynamic that we need to be able to understand, even Jesus, when he's talking about in John 4, 23 and 24, to worship in spirit and truth, he goes on to be able to illustrate that by being able to minister to the Samaritan woman at the well. And then when the boys come back, he says, I have meat that you guys don't know anything about. My nourishment is to do the will of my father and finish his work. You see, when we're worshiping, we facilitate the presence of God. But it's not only in the context of singing songs and praising, although that may be a primary expression. The external expression is the mission. And I want you to know, if you don't know it already, if you're a Christian, you're a missionary. If you're a Christian, you're in full-time mission. It's not something that we dichotomously separate of this is secular, this is sacred, this is natural, this is spiritual. We're on mission all the time, 24-7. And as Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, apostello, so I send you, apostello, apostle or missionary. And I want to share just a few things here in a little while, but before I do... I want to introduce two men that are going to share a little bit of a testimony who you know, Tim Troughton, because what he is doing is he is a missionary in the area of medicine in our city. And then I'm going to have Stacy Taves share after that, and he's a missionary in business in level ground. 
maybe before that they share, and uh, I want to just set the stage a little bit. Revelations 21, 1 and 2 talks about just this, uh, this dynamic of the new heaven and the new earth coming down on, from heaven and the new Jerusalem adorned like a bride. So we're beginning with the end in mind because of all of our missions is to be able to establish his kingdom here on earth just as it is in heaven. That we don't just pray for it and see a climactic time in the return of Jesus where we see it manifest and materialized, but we are progressively a part of continuing on the mission of Jesus of bringing his kingdom. How do we do that? We do it by restoring justice. When it says, in the beginning, God, Elohim, which is plural, in the beginning means in the first order of rank of time and place. God, Elohim, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit created the heavens and the earth. But it was formless, it was void, and darkness covered the earth. You know what those words mean? I won't go into the depth on each one. But it means that it was in chaos. It was in confusion. It was an absolute disorder, and it means that it was worthless. And then God said, let there be light. It's at the inception of God's word and the light that it brought that order began, and every day there were things set in order to create a flourishing environment for everything that he created and to create a flourishing environment for man to inhabit. It was the establishment of his word that established the kingdom of heaven here on the earth. In the fall of man, man was the steward and the trustee of God here on earth of that kingdom and to exercise dominion and to rule. But everything fell into disorder because the relationship was broken. And what our call is, is to bring about justice, which means a restoration to God's right order. And that's what Jesus did when he healed the sick, cleansed the leper, cast out demons, raised the dead. It was about manifesting the kingdom and bringing the justice of heaven to the injustice of what took place because of the enemy due to the fall of man. And I want to introduce to you, first of all, Tim Troughton. And he is a missionary full-time in the area of medicine. And I want him to just share his heart of what his vision and passion is in this area. And then Stacy to share. They've only got a few minutes. I haven't given them much time, but oh well. Uh, if they really go, I'm going to just encourage them to go. You can encourage them to go. And I'm just going to sit back and, and watch. Thanks, Bruce. <clears throat> Here's a great book. I've read this three times. Any, any of you guys read this book? Yeah, a few people have. It's um, Lauren Cunningham, The Book That Transforms Nations. Really incredible book. Um, so... Um, Thanks so much, Bruce, for asking me to share a little bit. My own journey working in the culture of primary care uh, was tremendous discontentment and increasing frustration and even depression. I found it extremely challenging uh, personally. And um, over many years and, and uh, decades, I've been exposed to teaching on the concept of the kingdom of heaven uh, by people like Miles Monroe, uh, passed away, fortunately, Derek Prince, 
uh, Ed Solvozo and a fellow called, uh, oh yeah, Bruce Friesen. And uh, <coughs> Bruce has some very famous phrases which he's repeated multiple times and I, I keep notes on my iPhone. Uh, so here's three. One was step out of the known and familiar. So with respect to the uh, Israelites entering the promised land would be one, Peter stepping out of the boat. Uh, step out of the known and familiar into the destiny that the Lord has for you. Um, here's another one. There's no transformation without crossing thresholds. And another one, we become the answer to our own prayer. And that's kind of where I was at. I was so stressed and, uh, and, and depressed and frustrated uh, that that really uh, crystallizes a prayer to the Lord to, to make a change in health care. Most family physicians in, in Victoria are members of an organization which runs projects in the city. That's called Divisions. And I get emails from them with an opportunity to join the board as a director. And uh, every time I got the, those emails, I deleted them. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't archive them. I just deleted them, I think, probably three times. <laughs> uh, and really listening to what Bruce the Lord was saying through Bruce, uh, it got to the point where I decided to step out of the boat. And I said, I have to do something. And the Holy Spirit was just nudging me and nudging me and nudging me. And so I offered to join a finance committee, uh, about which I knew pretty much nothing, uh, which met four times a year. And I figured, well, that's pretty safe, you know. It's not very often. If it doesn't work out, I'll just kind of, you know, go into the sunset. Nobody will notice. Um, what happened is the, the, the co-chair at the time of that board uh, took me out for lunch. And he said, you know, Tim, wh why, why not be a director on the board? We're looking for people. We don't have enough. And so he kind of whined and dined me. <laughs> and I thought... So my, my level of uh, terror went from kind of a 2 to a 10 out of 10. And I talked to my wonderful wife who said, you know, I, I think this is Jesus. I think this is what the Lord has for you. Um, I've been in that role now for six years, and through, through it we've had so many incredible opportunities to influence primarily through relationships uh, and bringing a culture of honor and love within and outside the organization with all our, our partners. Uh, we've had connection with more committees than I care to remember. Uh, Health Authority, uh, First Nations, healthcare providers, Doctors of BC, and the Ministry of Health and Politicians. Um, as a personal practice, uh, what I felt the Lord wanted me to do was pray for my fellow directors uh, every week. Um, I haven't missed one week in six years. Um, it's usually a Saturday. I get my knees. I pray for them by name. I pray for the Lord will bless their families. Um, I pray for the senior management. And, and uh, I've seen the effect of that. I've seen their lives be blessed. I've seen us be worked so well together, a sense of unity and strategy and vision. And uh, it's been pretty incredible to watch. And through the whole process, the Lord has revealed to me some of the underlying systemic problems causing the current health crisis, cri health crisis in primary care. And that's been amazing. And there's kind of like a five-point solution that he's, that he's um, revealed to me. And, you know, bless the current government, they've actually got most of those. They're missing one big one, I think. But they've got uh, three or four out of five right now. And uh, that's just amazing. Uh, Psalm 89... Uh, is a messianic psalm. Don't have time or opportunity to unpack 
that, but it's pretty powerful. And verse 14 talks about righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Uh, love and truth go before your face. So a mechanical translation of the Hebrew would be um, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. So one way to think about that, if you think of the f- Jesus on the throne or the Father on the throne, the right arm is righteousness of the throne and the left arm is justice. And those are foundations. But when he gets up to move, so those are passive, passive if you like, but when he gets up to move, he does so with this, um, it's tzedek and mishpat in Hebrew, so it's righteousness and justice. And then the active movements are chesed, which is loving kindness, and emeth, which is truth. So righteous, so today's society is obsessed with social justice. What they've, the, the error is just to take that out of tension with righteousness. And the kingdom is both, the righteousness and justice, right? And you see that dyad together throughout, throughout the, the Tanakh, the, the Old Testament. So just to summarize, with respect to healthcare, please pray for the politicians who are public servants with an extremely difficult task, right? They get grief from their own party, they get grief from opposition. If you want to find out more, talk to Jason or, or Tim Schindel about that. So pray for them. Uh, the second out of three points, the second is what we do in the physical opens doors in the spiritual. So if there's an opportunity, take it. Do something. Make a note. Maybe you're here and you think, yeah, I should do something. In your culture of influence, what, what can you physically do that's consistent with the scripture and consistent with what the Holy Spirit is saying, the Logos and the Rama word, you know. And um, Finally, just what does it mean to us where we are in our circle of influence to take steps towards our destiny? Bruce has another phrase, we're shaped by our destiny, not our history. So we're shaped by (laughs) the calling that's on our lives in the future. Hard to wrap your head around that, but it's it's true. Um, An influence culture from the foundation of both righteousness and justice, uh, expressing that and operating in both... uh, loving kindness and truth bless you guys thank you for listening good morning life tree for those of you who don't know tim so well who is just up here best hugs in the business Take some time. I've never felt more loved by the Lord than hanging out with Tim. It's just beautiful to see how he loves his family and loves others around him. You know that I'm a person, if you know me, who loves to set goals or targets and then figure out the actions that get me there. I've always been kind of OCD that way. And this year, one of my goals was to go overnight backpacking, get out into the wilderness. And... uh, So I joined a Facebook group where you can kind of find out where the best places are to go. I strongly uh, suggest or recommend hiking enthusiasts of Vancouver Island. So I joined that group and I went out with Patrick Stell this last week and we got just beautiful experiences out in places we'd never been before. I got some great photos and I came back home and I uploaded some of those photos to that Facebook group. And then I started to make comments on what that experience had been like on my Facebook post. And you have to clearly 
recognize when you join the group, you can't talk about political things and you can't try to promote your own agenda and you can't try to sell products. And I just talked about how wonderful it was and I said the best part was being out in the wonder of creation. Just by overtly saying right into the mix of however many hundreds or thousands of people are going to read it, I believe in a created world. And I was loving being around my Savior's playground out there. And it's just that sometimes little injection of a statement into white meat, what might be a crowd where you don't know what the temperature is. And the comments started to come in about Psalm 19 and other people who'd hiked an area talking about God's creation. And all of a sudden, it was like a praise Jesus moment in the series of threads that came into what had previously been about hiking came into Jesus as our creator. And I just want to suggest to you that wherever you are, as Caleb has challenged us when we've talked about the irreducible gospel the last few weeks, that if you thought about Jesus coming to Victoria and you tried to answer the question, where would he show up, what would he be up to, that probably speaks to your heart and where you believe you should be. Right? So for me, I had this experience as a person in my early 20s living overseas and blown away by poverty and hanging out a lot with children who lived on the street. And that fueled a desire to adopt. And that was kind of the very foundation of my wife and I meeting and our first conversations and our first three children joined our family through adoption. But it was in the midst of that and the obedience to that call that God said, you've been in so many places and seen so many farmers who don't have access to fair income. And I started to study the minor and the major prophets, and they seem to be very passionate about a just economy. Everything from observing the Sabbath to fair scales and measures and the horror of dishonest weights. Selling the sweepings with the wheat would be an example. And in Proverbs 13, 23, I was hit by this verse. It says, a poor person's farm may produce an abundance of food, but injustice sweeps it away. And that was the verse that changed my life. Because there was a message of a hardworking person who had access to so much, but the systems into which that person was working or had been born prevented them from getting what they rightly deserved in a just economy. And so for my wife and I, it was how do we explore and find a way to enter in to be obedient in that space? And we decided it would be coffee roasting and telling the stories of farmers with a goal to alleviate poverty. Next year will be our 25th year. And I'm really excited that every year now we get to purchase $3 million to $4 million worth of coffee. This last year from eight different countries, from 14 different small-scale farmer cooperatives, from all women's groups, from all First Nations groups, we get to tell their stories. And this last week, we had a person come who's a new representative for our products. And every month, she goes into 118 stores in BC, talking to people in the store about Level Grounds products. So she's got a busy life, and how well she represents is critical to how well our products sell, which means it's directly connected to how well farmers' lives are affected. See, every year through our facility now, we have the, the harvest of 5,000 small-scale farming families. So there's hundreds of thousands of people, actually, whose lives are directly connected to what goes on with just three dozen people working in a local facility. And when this young woman who represents our products, who's new to this role, was coming from Vancouver for a visit this last week, and we were talking together, we were looking at coffee being packaged and processed and roasted, and she said, Stacy, what started it all? 
Well, I've just told you what started it all, right? And my wrap-up after saying that to her was it's really about loving a God who showed up as Jesus, who's ultimately good and kind. And when that comes together for me, it shows up as justice in the marketplace. And she's like, I can represent this brand. Those types of opportunities for me are the reason why I'm here. That's what's shaping my destiny. And this is a church community where I find time and again, whether it's someone who's a doctor in healthcare or a person who's talking about how they do their Facebook or how they go fishing or how they love their kids, it doesn't matter. There's always ways to live out how Jesus has set us up to live for the purpose he's given us. So I'm glad to be part of this community. Thank you, Bruce. The name Level Ground. I had actually thought about sharing that and just forgot. So thank you. So when we were looking for a name for the company, um, I was looking for something that would work for a person who doesn't have a faith perspective when they look at life, but also one that would really challenge those who do. And what the Lord led me to was this prophetic word of Isaiah. In Isaiah 40, he talks about the person who would be John the Baptist. And he gives a picture of how nature... Mountains are leveled down, and valleys are raised up, and the result was level ground, so that when John the Baptist came, and Luke 4, I think, talks about that Isaiah prophecy, John would basically smooth the way out as the forerunner for Jesus, and it's actually a picture in the days of Rome conquering the world. They were experts at road building, right? So Isaiah, long before Romans were powerful was prophetically speaking of Romans who would be powerful, who when a conqueror was coming into a vanquished community, they would show up as conquerors by first leveling the ground. And then they'd be able to ride on horses and say, see, we can, we can manage anything. And this is really what John the Baptist did. Preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins and baptizing people. He readied the spiritual ground, so that when Jesus showed up, when Messiah was on the scene, people would go, oh, this all makes sense. It had all been kind of rototilled, stirred up, fertilized, ready to go for the seed. And that's many times the experience we have with farming communities, because we're able to tell them where our name comes from and what the intent behind our name is. It's really how I believe Jesus would want the marketplace to function when the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. I love those pictures. Uh, these men are missionaries in their families, in their workplace, wherever they go. It's a lifestyle. They don't have a dichotomous worldview where they're separating or compartmentalizing it, but really they're living it out in every way. And so our external worship could be also expressed in Isaiah 58, where the Lord is saying, you know, is this the kind of fasting that's acceptable? or the kind of worship that's acceptable, that while you're doing this, you're exploiting your workers, and you're treating, I'm adding to this, your customers unfairly. He says, really, the true fast or the true worship is to break every enslaving yoke and to break the oppression and the injustice. And what you do to do that is you give your bread to the hungry. You provide the stranger and the wanderer with shelter. Then your light will break forth. Then your healing will come quickly. Then the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. 
and you're going to become a well-watered garden, totally satisfied. You're going to become a rebuilder of ruined cities. And it's saying this is the process of how that takes place. So we need to look at really missions is our external worship that facilitates the presence of God just in the same way we are when we're singing songs. And it's the presence of God that builds community. It's really being on mission together that knits us together when we're on a kingdom mission. And it's really the people that you're on that mission with that unite your hearts. I think the kingdom concept, a Christian, I've met many Christians in business. I've seen Christian marriages. But I think we need kingdom business and kingdom marriage. What's the difference? Well, Christian marriages can still end in divorce. Kingdom marriages, I don't believe they can. What do I mean by that? It's the dynamic when Jesus is our Savior of the benefit that he has for us because of what he has done that we receive as a gift of grace versus the dynamic of making him Lord by building our lives on his word. We make him Lord and his kingdom is manifest by building according to what we see in the context of God's word that's revealed to us. When we're doing kingdom business, we're thinking of the mutual benefit of whether it's the distributors, the growers, the customers, our workers, or our family. We're thinking in terms of mutual benefit for everyone. We will exploit no one to be able to achieve our successes or our gains. So we've got to be able to understand the contrast of the difference between knowing him as Savior and knowing him as Lord. Knowing him as Savior is the benefit we get because of what he has done, but making him Lord by being obedient to his word in every single area of life brings his presence and brings his kingdom and starts to transform everything around us. Although I want us all to be on mission, I want us to see that we're already on mission in every area of life in our marriages, in our families, that what we're doing is we're discipling one another, teaching one another to be obedient to God's Word. And as we're doing that, we're starting to see the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. Francis, if you could just leave up Revelations 21, 1 and 2. It's so good to begin with the end in mind of what we're moving towards all the time, of a new heaven and a new earth. Anybody that thinks that they're going to, in one sense, just be raptured out of here, and whether that's pre, mid, or post-tribulation, roll up your rapture rugs. Not that I don't believe in the rapture, but if you read whether it's uh, N.T. Wright, Surprised by Hope, or Win the World or Escape the Earth by Tony Watzel, or if you read Victorious Eschatology by Harold Eberle, Really, the whole dynamic for 2,000 years, other than the last 60 years where it's become popularized, popularized of Jesus rescuing us from the end times and the tribulation, everything in reference to that concept of rapture is Jesus coming, and we're raptured up into the clouds, but we're coming back with them to establish his kingdom on earth. 
This is a progressive thing that Jesus initiated. We lost the kingdom at the fall. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. He taught us to pray for the kingdom to increasingly come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That isn't something that just happens at the return of Jesus. That's happening now through the body of Christ, through the testimonies that you're hearing. It's happening in every single area, and it's going to actually be the part that we play in ushering in the return of Jesus. And we're faithfully stewarding what he has entrusted to us. And I love the, the Luke 19. You know, it's called a parable of a nobleman goes off to receive a kingdom. And he entrusts to his different steward, his different, uh, not stewards, his servants, certain amounts. But the ones that are faithful, some of them are going to be rulers over ten cities. Some over five, some over two. Some over one. Did you know that you're going to rule over cities here on earth under his lordship in the future? The dynamic of everything in Isaiah or the prophets that they foretold is about this kingdom coming on earth just as it is in heaven and a new heaven and a new earth. It's what we see at the end of the book, a new heaven and a new earth. Heaven and earth coming together as one, not just going to heaven, but heaven coming to earth and his lordship and his kingdom being established here on earth as it is in heaven as it was initially intended. Acts 3.21 says that Christ must remain in heaven until the time of the full restoration as the prophets foretold. So it's not as though he's coming back to, in one sense, restore everything. He's coming back as we are a part of bringing that restoration of the justice of God, which is a restoration of setting things in the right order in our marriages, in our families, in our businesses, in the spheres of influence, like leading influence in the context of government. We're being salt of the earth, not of the church, light of the world, not light of the church. We are being leaven, which permeates and influences and kingdomizes everything. We are called to kingdomize everything. And it starts by him being Lord in us, of his word ruling and reigning in us, even in Jesus' return. He's coming on a white horse. He's called the word of God. A sword is in his mouth, which is the sword of the Spirit. It's the truth of God's word that defeats the enemy. It's the truth of God's word. See, we can't have justice unless we have truth. The Taliban, I'm sorry, cannot bring about justice because it's not on a foundation of truth. No ideology can bring justice unless it's founded on the truth. And John 17, 17 says, thy word is truth. The only way we can bring the justice, the only way the kingdom comes is by bringing justice, by setting things in order. Paul repeatedly said to the different churches, when I come, I'm going to set things in order. It's about that order. I'll throw this out as well. It's that order that brings in his presence. So when in... Uh, it's in Exodus 25, 40. It says to build according to the pattern that's been revealed to you from heaven. 
Now, that pattern means like a blueprint or a model. When they built according to the pattern, the presence of God filled it. But then it says in Exodus 26.30, to build according to the pattern that was shown you, that word pattern is mishpat, which is the restoration, it's justice of setting things in the right order. You see, when they built that tabernacle according to the right order that's revealed to them from God's word by revelation of the Spirit, the presence of God filled it. What if you build your marriage according to the pattern that's revealed from heaven in the word of God? Your family, your business, government. What if we start building it according to those patterns? What happens is the presence of God comes into it and it begins to transform everything. It's his presence that does it, but the spirit of truth comes when we're starting to build upon truth. So our mission isn't only, and I think we have reduced it sometimes in the Western world in particular, to seeing as the world is a ship that's going down. And I have a small boat and I can rescue some. And we have a faith to believe that Jesus' blood has the power to redeem a few. But we don't have the faith that it has the power to redeem culture, to redeem society, to redeem spheres of influence, for the kingdom of heaven to come into all of those areas. To be able to restore what was initially established before the fall, we need to understand what was lost at the fall and what is being restored by Jesus, the man that's in right relationship with God, who we now are trustees and stewards because of his work that we're restored to that right relationship, that righteous relationship, that we can bring the kingdom justice back upon this earth and see everything transformed. I want you to know that's our mission. I'll say my, my dynamic of my Christology my missiology, my ecclesiology, and my eschatology has so shifted over the last 25 years, it's crazy. Your Christology is simply what you believe the nature and the purpose of Jesus is. Your missiology is understanding the nature and the purpose of mission. And your ecclesiology is studying the nature and the purpose of the church. Eschatology is understanding and studying the purpose of the end times. I'll say everything is shifting for me to what I would consider a much more biblically-based perspective. And Brian Sanders, he's written a book on Christology and missiology and saying if we don't have a shift in our understanding, we're not able to take this micro-church concept and this missional concept. It'll never be able to be sustainably applied unless we shift in our understanding. So our understanding, we have to see that we are missionaries. We're full-time on mission. It's continually, it's everywhere, it's all the time. And for missions to work, discipleship is the engine. But I don't think we can make disciples unless we're leading people on mission. We have to be on mission, and my heart is for every single person to see either the mission that's right there in front of them. How many of you have adopted children? 
adopted pets, adopted children and pets, you know, it's the, that's the external worship, James 1.27. It's to visit and relieve widows and orphans. Now that's taking it to another level. You're not only visiting and relieving, you're bringing them into your home. You're adopting them. This is worship. This is mission. This is the heart of the Father. Uh, Jeremiah 22. You know, it says, does it make you great in a king to build a, a bigger palace and all of this? But your father, Josiah, he took care of the poor and the needy, the widow and the orphan. Isn't this what it means to know me, says the Lord? Therefore, all went well with him. You know, I'd like to speak more on this, but I'm carrying a prophetic word as well. And I want to download it quickly because I know Caleb wants to shift and pray. And I, I've got to go get ready to go camping and fishing with a couple of grandchildren for about nine days, so, uh, which I'm so looking forward to. But here's the word. It's Psalm 102, verse 13. And it talks about the time to show her Zion loving kindness and favor for her, appoint, her appointed time for her purpose has come. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says there is a time uh, for every purpose and event. Ecclesiastes 8.5 and 6 says the wise in heart, it's, first of all, it says there is a time and a purpose for every matter, and the wise in heart will discern the time and the purpose. You see, just like Jesus, just like Sam, you have been growing and increasing in favor before God and man. But now the Lord is saying it's time to draw on that favor by faith. The whole context is where there's somebody that's afflicted and crying out to God in Psalm 102. And now the Lord's saying, for the thing that you've been burdened with, what you've been praying for. Now, not for your own selfish interest, but for the kingdom advancement. Do you need financial resources? Do you need people resources to fulfill what it is that God has for you? Do you need influence in a greater way as leading influence? Like, do you want more influence? And for what purpose? I want you to know right now, Life Tree, and for anybody that's having the faith to be able to hear this, it's now time to take the favor that's in your account and to be able to invest it or spend it on what you need to see take place. Now, we're living in the year of the Lord's favor for 2,000 years since the cross, but there's times where all of a sudden he breathes on something where now it's time to take that favor and what you've cried for, been burdened for, to be able to, for one, continue to pray again, but also now begin to act on it I'll say, in Children Arise, uh, we've been doing this, working with children at risk around the world, and it's really empowering them to lift themselves up. But I'm part of Third Education Revolution now, which is redeeming education from secularism because we believe we're called to disciple nations by discipling the next generation through the sphere of education. And so I've been invited to speak to uh, at the prayer breakfast in Uganda on October 9th with Vishal Mengelwadi, because the nation there has adopted this, and they're turning their churches into academic education centers, the pastors into academic pastors, 
with the focus of discipling the next generation through education and making them disciples of Jesus. So we already have 35,000 Pentecostal churches on board embracing this. We have the government and the academia in Uganda embracing this. We're introducing, if you want the book, look up Third Education Revolution. I contributed one chapter in it. It's an excellent book already being translated into, I think, 15 different languages, even before I've got a copy in my hand. Uh, we'll hopefully have a copy, copies in a couple of weeks. But you need to read that book to see what it is that God's doing. So in Brazil, the uh, Minister of Education, I did a conference because I've been mentoring government leaders every Thursday online on Zoom since October, and academic leaders. And so Brazil has invited us to be able to launch Third Education Revolution there. But the Minister of Education, Milton Ribeiro, and I have been connecting since this connection in October, and he's wanting to be able to look at how do we shift this within our government. We have a lady, Maria Fernando, who's a senator in Colombia, for all of our, my Colombian friends. Where, where are you, my Colombian friends? Uh, it's like she is wanting Vishal Mengelwadi and our team to mentor her, her first tier and second tier of leadership on kingdom transformation of how did God transform all the nations that it talks about in this book of cities and nations that were built on God's word, which formed the Constitution in the United States of what John Calvin wrote about transformation, what formed our Constitution that we took from Britain in Canada to form our Charter of Rights. And she's wanting to be our team to mentor her and her team for the next six months because she's running for presidency. So there's incredible influence and favor. We just have the a venture capitalist has now just uh, also decided they're giving us $500 million towards third education revolution to advance this, but we're praying for $60 billion because it's a global vision. We have people from every tribe, tongue, and nation around the world. I shouldn't say every, but it's like it feels like we have the nations represented that have caught God's heart to recognize that we need to be able to transform education. We need to take it back if we're really going to see the kingdom advance. So those are the areas I'm involved in. But I'll say I have such a passion for every single person to discover, just like Paul, Galatians 1.15, before I was born, he called me, he chose me to preach the gospel. That's for every one of us. Then he says to the Gentiles, that's his audience. And then he says, as an apostle is the way he's supposed to show up. Not as a pastor, not as a prophet. And my heart is for every single person to discover who is my audience. And am I supposed to be an evangelist to everybody? A pastor, a prophet, a teacher, an apostle? How am I supposed to show up? Because I'll say, if we discover the mission that we're called to, what happens is we start worshiping and his presence comes, but those called to the same mission start to be drawn to us and a community starts to form. So the community isn't about, let's say, life tree. Community isn't about the name of a church. The community is predominantly what is the mission that we're united in. And when we're united in that mission, we are worshiping and community is 
the closest knit community that you can experience when you are working together on a very clear, this is our audience, this is our purpose. And my heart is for everybody to discover that because when you do, you'll be able to say like Jesus, my meat that nourishes my spirit is to do the will of my Father and to finish his work. And it's specific. And if you don't know what it is, if you do with the general, you walk in the light that is in God's word, and you do the main and the plain, I assure you, you'll be led into the very destiny and purpose you were created and designed for. So you walk in the light that you do have. Remember, one of my favorite things the Lord gave me is park cars, see no new signs. If you're wanting direction, instruction, guidance, you walk in the light of God's word that you do know, and you be missional. And as you are, clarity and specifics start to come, and you start to, in a good way, get fat and get strong because you're now feasting by doing his will and doing his work. And you already are, but Father, I ask that every single one of us would see the mission before us. The fields are white unto harvest, that salvation is a part of it, and discipleship is the other part, that we'd see what we're called to. We'd find so much meaning, purpose, and life, and nourishment in doing the specific things that you have designed us for. And we'd see your kingdom coming, and we'd start seeing life thriving and flourishing all around us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening. I enjoyed sharing with you. It's been a blessing. If you want to build your faith, Get a hold of the book that transforms nations, referring to the Bible, and see how many cities and nations were totally transformed by being built on God's Word. And it'll give you faith for Victoria, this garden city, to become the city of God. Now, we can build this city on God's Word in every single area. No matter what it's currently like, which is a great city, but it's not built on God's word in every area. And I see it's going to be a city that's going to give them so much pleasure because it's built on his word. And you're going to be a part of that. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.